Lord, everybody. It's good to see all of you, especially Sister Barb. It's good to see her back. Definitely missed her. We're continuing our Bible study on the book of John. This week is chapter 14. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 16. So please follow along with me the best that you can. Starting off in chapter, verse 1, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how saith thou, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for thy very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I shall do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father." And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This section opens, and you'll find out it closes later on in that chapter, with our Lord's loving admonition, Let not your heart be troubled. We are not surprised that the apostles were troubled. After all, Jesus had announced that one of them was a traitor, and he warned Peter that he was going to deny him three times. Self-confident Peter was certain that he could not only follow his Lord, but even die with him and for him. But Peter did not know his own heart. Nor do we really know our own hearts, except for one thing. Our hearts easily become troubled. Is it good now? Okay, thank you. You might quit work and your heart gets troubled. You see the stock market dive, your heart gets troubled. You hear about a snowstorm coming on the weekend when you thought it was spring, your heart gets troubled. When you had a revival all planned out for it. When you thought you were done shoveling snow, now you've got to realize you've got to sh shovel more. Our hearts easily get troubled. Can't deny it. And perhaps the heaviest blow of all was the realization that Jesus was going to leave them. Where was he going? Could, could they go with him? How could they get to where he was going? These were some of the perplexing questions that tumbled around in their minds and hearts and were tossed back and forth in their conversation at the table. How did Jesus calm their troubled hearts? 
And he, you'll see throughout this chapter, he gives them six wonderful assurances to lay hold of, assurances that we today may claim and thus enjoy untroubled hearts. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you may claim every single one of these assurances. I know the, the first assurance he gave them all is that they're all going to heaven. Jesus did not rebuke Peter for asking him where he, he was going. His reply was simply cryptic. One day Peter would follow Jesus to the cross, and then he would follow him to heaven. Because tradition does tell us that Peter himself was also crucified, except he was cru crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to, to die the same way that Jesus did. And just as Peter was beginning to feel like a hero, Jesus announced that he himself would soon be a, a casualty. And the message not only shocked Peter, but it also stunned the rest of the disciples. After all, if brave Peter denied the Lord, what hope was there for the rest of them? It was then that Jesus gave his message to calm their troubled hearts. And according to Jesus, heaven is a real place. It's not a product of religious imagination or the result of some psyched up mentality looking for some great pie in the sky. Heaven is the place where God dwells and where Jesus sits today at the right hand of the Father. And it's described as a kingdom in 2 Peter 1 and 11, an inheritance in 1 Peter 1 and 4, a country in Hebrews 11:16, a city in Hebrews 11:16 as well, and a home in John 14 and 2. The word Father is used 53 times in John chapters 13 through 17. Heaven is my Father's house, according to the Son of God. It is home for God's children. <clears throat> Many years ago, a London newspaper held a contest to determine the best de definition of home. The winning entry was, home is the place where you are treated the best and complain the most. And the poet Robert Frost said that home is the place that when you arrive there, they have to take you in. And that's really a good definition. Jesus Christ is now preparing a place for all true believers, and each place will be beautiful. When he was here on earth, earth Jesus was a carpenter, and, and now that he's returned to glory, he's building a church on earth and a home for that church in heaven. And John 14, 3 is a clear promise of our Lord's return for his people. And some will go to heaven through the valley of the shadow of death. That will actually be most people. But, but those that are alive when Jesus does return will never ever see death. And they will be changed just like Christ and will go to heaven. And since heaven is the Father's house, it must be a place of love and joy. When the Apostle Paul, John, excuse me, tried to describe heaven, he ran, almost ran out of symbols and comparisons. If you read the, the last couple chapters of Revelations, you'll notice that. And finally, he listed the things that won't be there, which is death, sorrow, crying, pain, night, etc. And what a wonderful home it will be that we get to enjoy forever. And the Lord made it clear that he was going to the Father and that he was the only way to the Father. Because heaven's a real place, it's a loving place and an exclusive place. Now, not everybody's going there, but rather only those that have trusted Jesus. And we, we know how to do that, of course. And Jesus doesn't simply teach the way or point, point the way. He is the way. In fact, the way was, the, was one of the early names 
for the Christian faith. Our Lord's statement, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, wipes away any, any other proposed way to heaven, such as good works or religious ceremonies, costly gifts. And there's only one way, and we all know that way is Jesus. Right. How would this assurance of going to heaven help to calm the disciples' troubled hearts? and battles along the way. It was this assurance that even encouraged our Lord, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross in Hebrews 12 and 2. And Paul had this truth in mind when he wrote, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us in Romans 8 and 18. And we don't have to wait until we enter heaven to get to know the Father. We can know Him today and receive Him from the spiritual resources. We need to keep going when the days are difficult. What does it mean to know the Father? The word know, K-N-O-W, is used 141 times in John's Gospel. But it does not always carry the same meaning. In fact, there are four different levels of knowing according to John. The lowest level is simply knowing a fact. The next level is to understand the truth behind that fact. However, you can know the fact and know the truth behind it and still be lost in your sins. The third level introduces relationship. To know means to believe in a person and become related to him or her. This is the way know is used in John 17 and 3. In fact, in Scripture, to know is used of the most intimate relationship between man and wife. If you read the, the, the book of Genesis, you'll see that many times where a husband knew his wife, and that's talking about a very deep relationship, not just knowing who the person is. And the fourth use of know means to have a deeper relationship with a person, a deeper communion. And it was this level that Paul was referring to when he wrote that I may know him. In Philippians 3 and 10. Jesus will describe this deeper relationship in John 18 and 19 through 23. And of course, Pastor White will discuss more about that when he comes up about that. And when Jesus says that knowing him and seeing him was the same as knowing and seeing the Father, he was saying he was God, right, when he did that. Now, when you go back through what I read about, you see where Philip made his statements, and we can appreciate Philip's desire to know the Father. He had come a long way since that day that Jesus found him and called him. The burning desire of every believer ought to be to know God better. And we read and study the Word of God so that we might know, know better things. The Greek construction of the question in John 14 and 10 indicates that the Lord expected a yes answer from Philip. He did believe that Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in him. That being the case, Philip should have realized that the words of Jesus, as well as his works, came from the Father and revealed the Father. Believers today have not seen the Lord Jesus in the flesh, but we do see him in his works and in the Word. And the emphasis throughout John's Gospel is that you cannot separate Christ's words and works for both come from the Father and reveal the Father. The believe word 
and John 14.10 is singular. For Jesus was addressing Philip, but in John 14.11, it's a plural, and he addresses all of his disciples. The tense is both is, going, is to go on believing. Let your faith grow. Excuse me. 400 years before Christ was born, the Greek philosopher Plato wrote, to find out the father and maker of all this universe is a hard task. And when we have found him, to speak of him to all men is impossible. Now Plato, of course, was wrong because we can know the father and the maker of the universe for Jesus revealed him to us. And why should our hearts be troubled when the creator and governor of the universe is our own father? The very Lord of heaven and earth is our father. There is no need for us to have troubled hearts, for he's in control. We always got to remember that when we get news we don't like to hear. And, of course, a lot of that can be mitigated through the privilege of prayer. And why pray when you can worry? We've heard songs about that. And... Those are little plaques I've seen in people's houses. One of the best remedies for a troubled heart is prayer. As the song says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. However, if God is going to answer our prayers and give us peace in our hearts, there are certain conditions that we... In fact, the meeting of these conditions is a blessing in and of itself. We must pray in faith, as it says in verse 12. And this is a promise for us to claim, and the claiming of it demands faith. The double verily, we know how Jesus likes to say verily, verily, especially in the King James Version, that assures us that this is a solemn announcement. It's the fact that Jesus did return to the Father is an encouragement, for there is He interceding for us. He will have more to say about this intercessory work later in his discourse. The greater works things which would apply initially to the apostles who were given the power to perform special miracles as the credentials of their office. And these miracles were not greater in quality for the servant is not greater than his Lord, but rather in scope and quantity. Peter, of course, we all know, preached one sermon and 3,000 sinners were converted in a day. The fact that the ordinary people performed these signs made them even more wonderful and brought great glory to God. And of course, it's not the believer himself who does these greater things. It's God working in and through the believer and the Lord working with them, as it says in Mark 16 and 20. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it's God which worketh in you. And faith and works must always go together, for it's faith that releases the power of God in our lives. And both love and obedience are a part of effective prayer. If I regard, as an, and of course see and approve iniquity in my heart, the Lord isn't going to hear me, as it says in Psalm 66 and 18. We do not obey the Lord simply because we want our prayers answered, somewhat like the attitude of a child just before Christmas. We obey Him because we love Him, and the more we obey Him, the more we experience His love. To keep his commandments means to value them, treasure them, guard them, and to do them. Job said it well in his book, chapter 23 and 12, when he said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So believing in prayer is wonderful medicine to soothe a troubled heart. 
Meditate on Philippians 4, 6 through 7. That's thinking about all the good things. And then put them into practice. We must pray in Christ's name. This is not a magic formula that we automatically attach to our prayers requests, guaranteeing that God will answer. To answer anything of the Father in the name of Jesus means that we ask what Jesus would ask. What would please him and what would bring him glory by furthering his work? When a friend says to you, you may use my name, he is handing you a great privilege as well as a tremendous responsibility. The whatsoever in John 14 and 13 is qualified by all that God revealed in his word about prayer. Likewise, the anything in John 14 and 14. God is not giving us a carte blanche in my name controlling element. To know what God's name means is to know his nature, what he is, and what he wants to do. God answers prayers in order to honor his name. Therefore, prayer must be in his will. And the first request we know in the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be thy name. And any request that does not glorify God's name should not be asked in his name. And we must pray in loving obedience. When you love someone, you honor his or her name, and you would never use that name in a demeaning manner. And love is an important theme in the Gospel of John. It's used as a verb or a noun a total of 56 times. Another assurance is that we have the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. And Jesus had a great deal to say about the Holy Spirit in his upper room message. For apart from the help of the Spirit of God, we cannot live the Christian life as God would have us live it. We must know who the Holy Ghost is, what he does, and how he does it. The Holy Spirit is given in two special names by our Lord in this chapter. One is another comforter and the spirit of truth. And the Greek word translated comforter is used only by John in 14, 16, and of course, verse 26 and 15 and 26, and, and chapter 16 and 7 and 1 John 2 and 1. And it means called alongside to assist. The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. And our English word comfort comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. Because we usually tend to think of comfort as soothing and someone consoling us. And to some extent that's true. But true comfort strengthens us to face life bravely and to keep on going. It does not rob us of responsibility or make it easy for us to give up. Some translations call the Holy Spirit the encourager. And that, of course, is also a good choice of words. It's also known as an advocate. An advocate is one who represents you at court and stands at your side to plead your case. As the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is related to Jesus, the truth, and the word of God, which of itself is the truth. The spirit inspired the word and also illuminates the word so we might understand it. And later on in this message, Jesus will explain the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. And since he is the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit cannot lie or be associated with lies and never leads us to do anything contrary to the word of God. For again, God's word is truth. The spirit of God would come to them and dwell in them, taking the place of their master. That's, of course, after Jesus left this world. And Jesus called the spirit another comforter 
and some other Greek words translated with that means another means or another of the same kind. And the Spirit of God is not different from the Son of God, for both are God. The Spirit of God had dwelt with the disciples in the person of Jesus Christ, and now He would dwell in them. Of course, the Spirit of God had been on earth before. He empowered men and women of the Old Testament to accomplish God's work. However, during the Old Testament age, the Spirit of God would come on people and then leave them because we know about how God's Spirit departed from King Saul. And when David was, of course, confessing his sins, he asked that the Spirit not be taken away from him in Psalm 51 and 11. And, of course, though, when the Holy Ghost was given at Pentecost, he was given to God's people to remain with them forever. If we want the Holy Ghost to work in our lives, we must seek to glorify Christ. And we must make much of the Word of God. And when you compare Ephesians 5, 18 and 6 and 9 with Colossians 3 and 16 and 4 and 1, you will see that both passages describe the same kind of Christian life. Joyful, thankful, and submissive. And to be filled with the Spirit is the same as to be controlled by the Word. The Spirit of truth uses the word of truth to guide us into the will and the work of God. The Holy Spirit abides in the believer, and he is a gift from the Father, an answer to, to the prayer of the Son. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus had guided, guarded, and taught his disciples, but now he was going to leave them. The believer's body is a temple of the Spirit, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. And so what he or she does with that body affects the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit wrote the Word of God, and the way we treat the Bible is the way we treat the Spirit of God and the Son of God. The world cannot receive the Spirit because the world lives by sight and not by faith. Furthermore, the world does not know Jesus, and you cannot have knowledge of the Spirit apart from the Son. And the presence of the Spirit in this world is actually an indictment against the world. For the world rejected Jesus Christ... And the word translated comfortless in John 14, 18 means orphans. We're not alone, abandoned, helpless, and hopeless. Wherever we go, the Spirit is with us, so why should we feel like orphans? There's no need to have a troubled heart when you have that Spirit of God dwelling in you. So always remember that. When you see a bad weather report, a bad stock market report, a bad COVID-19 report, let not your heart be troubled, because we have faith in Jesus. Amen. Great job. He just keeps getting better and better, doesn't he? Praise God. Every time, he just keeps getting better and better. Thank you, Brother Tim Williams. Yes, and I will kick off with what he said. Uh, I have that in my notes, too. John 14 and 18, I will not leave you comfortless. Praise God. And like Brother Tim Williams said, that's like orphans. Uh, the word orphans is in there, and uh, he said, I will not, but I will come unto you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. Think about that. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Praise God. In verse 19, Jesus said unto them, he said, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. He didn't say, you won't see me no more. He said, the world won't see me no more. Because Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified and the disciples would see him. But um, 
The world would not see him anymore. He would not reach out to the world. Isn't that amazing that Jesus put a, a, a net over the whole world of that time, that not the whole world, but the whole world known to them, and trying to get any disciple that he could to come and follow him. But after his crucifixion, he turned his attention from the whole world. He didn't go around for everyone to see him at this point. He mainly focused on his disciples because he knew that it was going to be his disciples that was going to carry the gospel in the book of Acts. Praise God. And so Jesus, at the first, before his crucifixion, got his disciples and those that would follow him. And then after his crucifixion, he turned. And so when he read this scripture, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. You're going to see me because I live. Uh, ye shall live also. Jesus told them this. What happened was they watched him be crucified. After he was crucified... They watched him resurrect. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me tonight. So, what this tells them is, you know what? Jesus told us about this. And it gave them hope. He knows. Jesus knows. Praise God. And, amen. It was, he was vague about it. When he told him about it, he didn't get into depth about his crucifixion. He didn't get him in depth about his resurrection. Because there's some things that we have to wait in time. We, they probably was not able to handle. They were already, like Brother Tim said, coming apart at the seams. Praise the Lord. They were already nervous about everything. And he just, he kept comforting them. And he kept telling them, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of the future. And so when you see these come to pass, he said, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, build yourself up and praise God. And so he was vague in his ways, but it gave them assurance, the followers, the assurance that that day that Jesus knew what he was going to do. And if he knew what he was going to do, he obviously knew how to take care of them. Yes. Praise God. If he knew the future, he knew how to prepare for the future. Praise God. If he was a God that would know the future, he was a God that could take care of the future. Praise the Lord. Uh, he, knew what, he knew he was going to die. But the Bible says, yet a little while and you see me no more. He, he knew that. And so, because of that. You see, this is why, amen, I believe that we need to treat revelation. Revelations, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was not given to us to try to predict anything in the future. But I believe the reason that God gave us the book of Revelation was so that when that, because it was just as vivid with them, as uh, with us today as it is with them. You know, Jesus said, you're going to see me and then you're, and so they could have filled that in anywhere. Maybe he was going away for a few times, for a few hours, for a few days. And then come back. But, Jesus, but when it happened to disciples, and in Revelation, if you try to predict the future with Revelation, you can get into a lot of trouble. But the reason I believe that Revelation is written, personally, is because when it does happen, 
you can look at the book of Revelation and say, that's what God was telling me about. And if God knew, because even in the book of Revelation, it said that the book was shut up. It was shut up for a period of time. It was not meant for all the people down through the ages to read that book and say, this is our day, this is our day, this is our day. The thing that's going to happen is when Revelation is fulfilled, in the time that it's fulfilled, the people are going to say, it is our day. This is what the Lord is talking about. Praise God. This is the battle of Armageddon. And this is the, you know, the, 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 the tribulation. And this is what's happening. Praise God. And so it gives us the assurance that God knows what he's doing. Praise the Lord. So this is what generation, uh, Revelation does for us. When we see the prophecies unfold, we will begin to see and believe and it will give us faith. Because all along what God is trying to do in John chapter 14 is give his disciples faith and trust to go through what they were going to go through. Praise God. But verse 20 says, And that that day... Ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Praise God. You see, God is a spirit. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Praise God. As God the Spirit, He created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that exists. Praise God. He called it into existence. There come a day when that Spirit of God moved upon Mary and brought forth a child, Christ's child, praise the Lord. It was She was a virgin. Mary brought forth the child, the fleshly part of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost brought forth the Spirit of God inside of him. It was the presence of God inside of him. It was not a second person in the Trinity. There was not two people, three people. <clears throat> it was God in flesh. That's why when we read this scripture, he says... That day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me. Praise God. He's in me, I'm in him. We're one. Praise the Lord. Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been so long with you that you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible says that God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. So you'll never see the presence of God or the spirit of God. But you will see him manifest himself. You'll see him manifest himself in a burning bush to Moses. You'll see him manifest himself through a talking donkey, praise God, to the prophet. You'll see him manifest himself through Jesus Christ. But it's God in flesh, praise God. <clears throat> and as the son, amen, he robed himself in flesh. As the Holy Ghost, he fills us with that same spirit. It's the same spirit. It's not a different spirit. It's not a different person. Let me show you. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, we'll explain that a little more. Praise God. Romans 8 and 9. Now, if we were to read this and understand, like some people do, a lot of people do, try to make a triune God out of him, that he's a, 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 a God, he's three persons, but he's one. Praise the Lord. And sometimes they use the word unity in that. But if he's three persons, then we're really going to struggle with this scripture that Paul talks about. Paul knew that God was one in the flesh. 
Praise God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it said, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's the Spirit of God that you're in. Uh, amen. You're not living according to the flesh. You're living according to the Holy Ghost that God filled you with. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Praise God. Now that is God the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, now he's switching over and calling it a Spirit of Christ. I thought it was the Spirit of God. No, it's the Spirit of Christ in you. But see, we understand that scripture because we understand that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. Because Christ was God robed in flesh. <coughs> the same Spirit. So to fully understand this scripture, I'm sorry, got a little uh, catch in my throat tonight. To, to understand this scripture, praise God, we understand that if you say God the Father, that's talking about God. If you say God the Son, that's talking about what he did for you when he redeemed you. But it's by the same spirit. If you're talking about God the Holy Ghost... That's the Holy Ghost inside of you, but it's the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit that created the heavens and the earth. It's the same Spirit, praise God, that robed himself in flesh. Christ, being a body, died on Calvary. Was that sacrifice for us? Praise the Lord. And so if you read things like Romans, it's much easier to understand when you understand that he might use different titles of what he done. Because, you see, if I'm talking to you about God the Father, I'm talking about his creative work. If I'm talking to you about God the Son, I'm talking to you about his redemption work. If I'm talking to you about God the Holy Ghost, I'm talking about God as the infilling of us. Praise God. And so when you read the scriptures and it talks about God the Spirit, the Father, it's talking about how God will take care of you, how God created you, how God loved you. When you're talking about God the Son, you're talking about how God came and robed himself in flesh and died on, the flesh died on Calvary. Praise God. And that's why Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Because, amen, God cannot die. Jesus had to die on the cross, praise the Lord, without the Spirit of God in him. And so, and then when you're talking about God the Holy Ghost, you're talking about that same spirit being in us today when he fills us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so here in Romans 8 and 9, it says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That's the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, God. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. <clears throat> now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, which is the same spirit as the spirit of God, he is none of his. For if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then it goes on to say, but if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead. We know that God raised up Christ from the dead. But Brother Corsi taught it, and it was really good the other day. Jesus said, I lay my body down, and I'll take it up again. Jesus said that. How could he say that? Amen. When God did that, when Jesus, anytime you're reading the words of Jesus, he may be talking about his fleshly part, or he may be talking about his godly part, his, the, the God talking inside of him. Praise the Lord. For instance, he might say, I hunger. God can't hunger. Amen. But Jesus hungered. 
Hey, man, he might have been weary. That's the God part. But the Spirit of God inside of him, he was God robed in flesh. God, the Spirit of God took that body and created it to make it a sacrifice for all humanity. Praise God. And so, John, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John, uh, 1 John 3.16 says something like, and I can't, uh, for God so loved us that he gave his life for us, or something like that. So, praise the Lord, they're both the same thing. And this is what Jesus is trying to help his disciples to understand. Praise the Lord. He, he, he said, I and the Father are one. We're the same thing. Here's the thing, and it's the same thing today. If the Jews, if Jesus would have told the Jews, I am the second person in the Godhead. My Father is my Father. Praise the Lord. The Jews would have said, we can accept that because we only have Jehovah as our Father. But because Jesus says, I am Jehovah, they said, uh-uh, we can't accept that. Praise God. And there are so many people that do not understand who Jesus really was, that he was God robed in flesh. Praise God. And so Jesus, so much here, that scripture I gave you, amen, amen. When he said unto them, he said, amen, uh, in that day, know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, he is in me, and I in you. He, we're together. Verse 11. But the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead shall dwell in you that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or bring to life your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Holy Ghost does that. So let us look at verse 17 here. John uh, 14 and 17 said, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. The spirit of truth. What is the spirit of truth? The spirit of truth is God. Amen. It would be God the Father. It would be the Word. All these things. It would be God the Son. It would be all those things. But he said, you cannot see it. Amen. You can't see God because God's everywhere. How can you see a God that's everywhere? But he said, you see it because I'm with you. In other words, I am manifesting it through... You know, I'm, I'm making... It known unto you, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, here's a good example. He said, he dwelleth with you. So he said, I and the Father are one, and we're going to be in you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God being God the Father, being in Jesus Christ, and he says, and I'm going to be in you. How's he going to be in you? He's going to be in you in the form of the baptism of the Holy Ghost that started out on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> so the verse 17 in John 14. This is why I wanted to go through John. Amen. And because John is so good at helping us understand whom Jesus really is. From the very beginning, John starts out his dictation in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. John was the guy that was so close to Jesus and loved Jesus so much, 
He knew about John. And like Tim said, praise God, thank you. You do so much that helps me. Like, like Tim said, there are four different ways to know somebody or to believe or whatever into somebody. And John knew Jesus. He knew he was God in flesh. And he took the book of John and he wanted to make it known to everybody to this day who Jesus really was. He was God in flesh. Praise God. And John wanted them to know that. Praise the Lord. Let's move on. 21. He that hath my com- or he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, now this was not a scarret, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Now, I, I, I have, a, I have a, 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 a couple that I know. And this couple, praise the Lord, uh, they like to cook. And one night he made uh, a salad dressing. And he crafted this salad dressing. And it was a certain salad dressing. And he put it on the salad. And he put a lot of work into it. And him and his wife that night, they ate the salad. And she, he said, how do you like the salad dressing? And she's like, oh, it, it doesn't, it's just, it's, it's a little too bitter. And he's like, oh, man. He said, I crafted that. And I think it just tastes great. And et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. And so about two weeks later, they had a dinner again. And uh, so she said to him, she said, I've made the salad dressing tonight. Says, let me see if you think it tastes better. So they got the salad dressing out, and she put it on the salads. And he looked at it and tasted it, and after a little bit, he said, I'm sorry, honey. And with my true, honest opinion, he says, that, uh, that salad dressing is bitter. And she said, oh, yeah, right. She said, that's actually the salad dressing you had two weeks ago, praise God, and you thought was great. The point, the point of the matter is, amen, <clears throat> we kind of get affected when it's ours. Our opinion changes a little bit. When it's our children, it kind of affects us a little bit in the way we judge, isn't it? When it's our opinion or when, it's in, when, when the ball is in our park, then we kind of look at something just a little different than we should. And we have to be careful when we come to Jesus that we don't put him in a, I call it glasses. You look at him through a certain set of glasses. This Judas, <clears throat> which wasn't Iscariot, even though he wasn't Judas Iscariot, who was really bad at this, Obviously, this Judas felt like Jesus had come to save them, praise God, and he was going to be a ruler, and his, he was looking through a set of glasses of what <clears throat> he expected Jesus to be, praise the Lord. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to be of this world. And he's like, what do you mean you're not going to be of this world? He, man, you're not, you know, you're not going to be in the world? You're supposed to... Get us out of Roman dictatorship. You're supposed to do this and do that. And the thought that we can get out of this is, 
When we read the Bible, or when we hear a message, or when we, you know, get into the things of God, we've got to take our glasses off, which can distort what we are actually seeing. Because a lot of times, praise God, we take whatever we hear, and by the time we come up with a decision, we have manipulated it to be what we want it to be, or what we think. We, 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 will, we will hear things, look at things. You know, I, I, do, I know I mentioned to you that you can't trust the news. You, when it comes to political views, they have their agenda. Be careful, amen, trusting everything you hear. They've got an agenda behind it, praise the Lord. Now, if it is something that's happening, and it's a fact, that's one thing. But I'm telling you, whether you're Republican or Democrat, we can't trust the news to be telling us the right thing because one side is candy-coating it all the way. Both sides are. So you have to be careful, but when you read the Word of God or when you, when you do the preaching, don't let it, let it come to you for what the Word of God says. Don't let it come to you for what you think it says. They felt that Jesus was going to be the ruler of the world, and, and they missed it. They missed it. He was crucified, and they were devastated. Dev- he was crucified, and they was devastated. devastated. Yes, I tried to rhyme that, but it doesn't work very good. Praise the Lord. Look here how Jesus responds to them. Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man, not a Jew... If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. I've come to save the world. I didn't come to save the Jew. He used the Jews to bring a salvational message or a salvation. He used the Jews to bring a Messiah. But he did not have the Jews just only to be saved. The Jews felt that because Jesus worked with him, worked with them, or because God worked with them to have a Messiah, that they had a monopoly on God. But they did not have a monopoly on God. They were only a tool for the whole world to be saved. Aren't you glad tonight that you Gentiles can get saved? Praise God. Especially you Italians and Cornelius. Amen. But he said, if any man come unto me, love me, he will keep my words. My father will love him. And I will uh, unto him, and I will make my abode with him. You see, when a person receives the Holy Ghost, God makes his abode with them. He lives in them, and like Tim said. Now, I heard this. This is really good. Boy, I, <coughs> I really like what I'm about to say to you. Praise God. Amen. And, and it's titled, Making God Feel at Home. And a good example of that is Abraham and Lot. You see, it was recorded in Genesis 18 and 19. When God and the two angels visited Abraham's tent, they felt right at home. They even enjoyed a meal. And God had a private talk with Abraham. But our Lord did not go to Sodom to visit Lot because he did not feel at home there. Instead, he sent two angels. Think about that. Praise God. 
making God feel at home. Verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things into your remembrance, whatsoever things I've said unto you. Who said that? Jesus said that. What did he say? He said he's going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Okay, he's going to send it in my name. If the Holy Ghost was the second person in the Trinity, he would have his own name. But he doesn't have his own name. That's good. I never thought of that till just now. He didn't have his own name. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to send a comforter in my name. Why is he going to send a comforter in the name of Jesus? Because it's by the power of what Jesus did on Calvary that allows the Holy Ghost to come inside you. Praise God. It's by the power of that name. He said, I'm going to send a comforter in my name. In other words, you're going to be able to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost because Christ died on Calvary. Amen. And so you see how it's the Spirit of God. Amen. He can work all forms. I'm a father. I have four children. I'm a husband. Praise God. I am, amen, a son. I am all three things, but I am one person. God is the Father. He is the Spirit. God is the Son. He robed himself in flesh. God is the Holy Ghost. He lives inside of us. That's why Jesus says, I am with you, but I'll be in you. You know, And he said that to them to make them feel comfortable. You see, in Jesus' day, the only way they could get around Jesus was to be right there beside him. But once he was crucified and his spirit was able to be in, in the form of filling each one of us. You see, the first meaning of this scripture was to the people that, of that day. Jesus was talking to them of that day. He said, I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost in my name. You're going to get it in my name. The Holy Ghost, which was to be given on the day of Pentecost, is what he was talking about. Which the Father would pour out after Calvary and his, glor- uh, his glorification. But by the power of Jesus' name. And the Bible said he'll teach you all things. Someone said one time, I had some, a few people one time got messed up on that. They're like, well, the Holy Ghost will teach me everything. You don't have to tell me anything. The Holy Ghost teach you everything. It doesn't mean everything that you learn because it'd be contrary to the rest of the Bible. But what it means is it means it'll teach you all, a lot of, uh, everything, every kind of thing. And if you, if you let the Holy Ghost, it'll be a filter to you so that when you hear something that's not right. Many, many years ago, I had someone bring a preacher to me in the area. And they're like, this guy's great. This guy's wonderful. You got to have this man preach. And I was like, ah, something's just, just not right. And I did it for the longest time. And there were many preachers. I mean, there were preachers in good positions saying, it just looks this, this. And I just like, this isn't good. And then after a while, found out, praise God, this man was not good. He was bad. He was really bad. And so, but it was the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will do things to you. Verse 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world giveth unto you, yet let not your heart be troubled, neither you, uh, let it be afraid, like Tim said. Now, one of the things that I'm getting, getting ready to close here real soon, praise the Lord. One of the things that uh, amazes me was uh, the word salome. The word salome is in this, the peace, the word peace, salome. 
Years ago, I don't anymore, but I worked for a lot of Jewish people in Steubenville. And uh, the Browns owned a, the, the store and the Weisenbergers. And uh, I did the Jewish temple. I uh, loved that. That was so peaceful. And I walked, and I was in their homes. I was at their places. And in their homes, they would have this shalom upon the wall. Sometimes it would be large, shalom. And the word shalom, and I'm sorry if I'm not saying it completely co- correct, means peace. It's, it's, it, it is a precious word that the Jewish people use. It means much more than just the absence of war or distress. Shalom means wholeness, completeness, health, uh, security, even prosperity uh, in the best sense. In other words, it doesn't have to be. But here's the thing, and I'm going to end with this because of time. The world bases its peace, and we're in a bad situation lately with Ukraine and everything that's going on. But the world bases its peace on uh, its resources, the things that it has. I've got money. I can eat. i got money. I can pay my bills. i got money. I can fill my tank. I got money. I got money. That's where the world gets its peace from. While God's peace depends on their relationship with God. I got Jesus. Y'all know that song? I got Jesus and that's enough. I got Jesus and that's enough. I got Jesus and that's enough. Yeah. We have it on relationship. You see, to be right with God means to enjoy the peace of God. Praise God. When you're right with God, you say, i got a right relationship with God, and that's all that matters. Praise God. You have a relationship with God. Amen. But the world depends on their personal ability. Praise God. And we need not to depend. Praise God. Amen. You see, people in the world walk by sight and depend on externals, things outside of them. They reach out for peace. I need my boat and motor. I need my computer. And in America, over the last 20, 30 years, we've had it so good that people have been able to numb themselves with a lot of luxuries in the world. But I think that's starting to change. I think things are starting to go the other way. You see, but Christians walk by faith, and they don't depend on external things. They depend on internal things. They depend on their relationship with the Lord. Praise God. So when you watch the news or when you see things that don't look good, praise God, just continue to love God and trust Him and depend on Him. Praise the Lord. Because the Lord is going to see us through. Amen. I'm telling you, start watching in your life how things come together, how things work out just right, how situations in your life, and everything just, uh, for some reason, it worked out. Oh, man, that come together. Oh, that was the right timing. That person came into my life just when I needed it. That preacher preached that message just when I needed to hear it. And just start watching and just start praising God for it. And it will build your faith. Because you'll realize, praise the Lord, instead of getting up every morning thinking, oh my God, 
what's going to happen to me today? You'll get up in the morning saying, oh, my God, what's God going to do today? How's God going to move today? How's God going to bless today? Instead of getting up thinking, oh, it's a rainy, snowy, bitter day, and I've got to try to do windows, and people aren't very happy when I'm doing them. You get up and you say, <clears throat> you get out there and you say, bless God, what's God going to do for me today? What's God going to help? Praise the Lord. Well, the Lord is good. Let's all stand. Amen. Praise God. Once again, thank you, Brother Tim. Praise God. It's good to see Sister Barbara Morris. We'll say that one more time. Praise the Lord. Amen.